Exodus 10. Hear now the word of God. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your sons' sons that the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, or else you refuse to let my people go. Behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. And they shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let them go. Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And he said to them, The Lord had better be with you, and I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Now go, you who are men, and serve the Lord. That is what you desired. And they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locust went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there, ever, shall there be such after them. They covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or the plants of the field throughout the, all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. We went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locust away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. Then... The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was 
thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise up from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, and not a hoof shall be left behind. We must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even if we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. and He would not let them He would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more, for in the day you shall see my face you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. This is the very word of God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Father, bring the quickening work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts, that we may know and understand this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight, see the continuation of the plagues upon Egypt. And let's remember uh, God's purposes as we're going through the plagues. We're almost to the end of the plagues. Uh, But remember what God told Moses in Exodus 7. He told him exactly what was going to happen. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so we remember, once again, this is the ultimate purpose that God is doing, that the Egyptians will undoubtedly, undoubtedly know that he is the Lord. And we're seeing that as we go through these plagues, that what's so interesting is despite the, just the horrific destruction of Egypt, his country's just being destroyed before his eyes, Pharaoh does not relent. He does not let the Israelites go. Why? Because, as God says, he hardens his heart. And this hardening of Pharaoh's hearts has always been a question to wrestle with. And how exactly does God do this to someone? Well, that's actually what I'd like to focus on tonight, this question of hardening a heart. And I'd like to divide tonight's teaching up into three parts. First, we'll examine the eighth and ninth plagues. We'll take a look at those. Secondly, we'll understand what it means when the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And lastly, we'll apply this to us today and and see how are we supposed to deal with those whose hearts God has hardened. So let's begin by reviewing the ninth, eighth and ninth plagues. Eighth and ninth plagues. So once again, Moses and Aaron go to speak with Pharaoh, and they speak the words of God. God says, Thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourselves? Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you refuse, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. Now, we know that this was a horrible plague. Uh, And as 
Pastor Shriso mentioned last week, we find that there was actually a little bit of vegetation left after the hail. And uh, I think of when hail comes here in Colorado and destroys all my wife's flowers. And then there's like this little hope, though. There's like, well, but there's still a few left. Or they're like still alive, at least. There's like a little bit of green. Maybe they'll grow back. And actually, sure enough, they do, which is pretty neat. Um, But see what's happening here. God has taken away that little bit of green that was left. No more. And then what's interesting also, though, is that a very interesting things occur after this, after this plague is announced. Actually, it hasn't happened yet, but this plague is announced. And, and, and now servants, uh, Pharaoh's servants speak. They, they say, how long will this man be a snare to us? Can't you see that Egypt is being destroyed? So, of course, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron and, uh, and says, okay, fine, you can go worship, but who's going to go with you? And of course, now this is the hang-up that God uses. Uh, Pharaoh is not happy that they're going to bring, that everybody's going to go worship. The young and the old, our sons and daughters, flocks and herds, we all have to go. Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to allow that. And his heart, of course, is hardened once again. God sends by an east wind... Right? Now, by an east wind, brings in the locusts, and the locusts, of course, destroy everything. Uh, Pharaoh seems pretty distraught over this, and what's interesting, in verse 16, it actually seems he's really repenting. Uh, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin. He's really sort of confessing, which is really interesting. He actually asked them to entreat the Lord your God that he would take this away. And so, of course, God responds to that. And just think about what's happening for a minute. We're going to talk about this, but God's hardened his heart, and now, you know, he's been really affected by this bad, bad plague, and now he's sort of asking for forgiveness and asking that God would relent. So, of course, God sends the locust away with a west wind, but what does it say right after that? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once again. And now after this, we have the ninth plague, plague of darkness. And uh, it says this was a darkness that could be felt. Darkness that could be felt. Whoa, that's, there's something significant about that. Um, because remember, we, we kind of get a little, up, you know, a little afraid when, when maybe the electricity goes out because we always have light at our fingertips. But this was not that time. And they were somewhat used probably relatively to darkness, right? Only how did they produce light back then? At night. How would they do that? Fire, maybe? I mean, it's not like you're carrying a torch around 24 hours a day. So, I mean, these were people somewhat more accustomed probably to darkness and living in darkness than us. But they, they were affected by this. And, you know, we could dig into what does this mean, a, a darkness that could be felt. Perhaps a spiritual, spiritual heaviness to it. Not just a physical darkness, but maybe a, a, phys, a, a spiritual as well. And now, of course, this time, uh, and so this was very significant. They couldn't even go anywhere, says it was so dark. But I love that even the Israelites' homes still light. Beautiful. But of course, after this plague, Pharaoh is certainly distressed. He calls for them. He says, okay, you, can, you and your little ones now can go serve the Lord, but can't take animals for sacrifices. And of course, that's not going to work. So uh, Moses says, we need to take our animals 
for sacrifices. We don't know, you know what the Lord's going to have us do there. So once again, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart, and then he would not let his people go. And then we have this sort of dramatic scene at the end where Pharaoh says, get away from me, take heed to yourself, you'll see my face no more, and the day that you see my face, you'll die. And of course, Moses says, you've spoken well, you'll never see my face again. Which is interesting, because we know what's coming after this is the, the final plague, which we're, we're going we're gonna to read about in the next chapter, but, which we'll read next week. But uh, what's, what's interesting is that Pharaoh, or, I'm sorry, Moses agrees with Pharaoh. It's like, yeah, you're not going to see me again, because he knows the final plague is coming. So we see this back and forth of Pharaoh. This is what I want to examine tonight. We, we see this back and forth. Uh, he's hardened, and then he seemingly sort of is, hard, is sort of softened because of the destruction of his, his nation before him. But then he's hardened again. And it really reminds us, I think, of Proverbs 21.1. You remember that says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And that's exactly what we see, of course, with Pharaoh. But let's dive into this a little bit. What does it mean when it says, when the, when the Bible says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart? What is going on here? Well, as we already read in Exodus 7, God said he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, right? We, we knew this was going to happen as a means to bring about his purposes, um, and so, and so what we see, though, happening is this back and forth. A plague is sent, and, and it's very difficult for Pharaoh. And so he kind of relents and, and backs off. And he says, okay, you can go worship. Your, and, and right when it seems the Israelites are going to get to go worship, God hardens the heart of Pharaoh again. And Pharaoh changes his mind and says, no, you can't go. And... It almost seems, in a way, that God is, like, mercilessly playing Pharaoh like a puppet, you know, hardening his heart, then judging him for having a hard heart, and then he seems to soften because of the judgment, and then God hardens his heart again. It's, it's, it, I mean, it almost seems like a little cruel of God. We're just, I'm just going to beat this guy back and forth, and what's going on here? I mean, would God do this to someone? You know, what is happening well, we do know that the, the, the scripture clearly says and ascribes the hardening to God, right? That is very clear. Um, it says very plainly over and over again, God is the one doing the heart's hardening. And this is hard to understand. And, and I think sometimes we think, well, what really happened is Pharaoh hardened his own heart, right? And God was just kind of, you know, that, that's maybe... in description of what we think happened maybe god had nothing to do with it because this is a pretty bad guy right because we think certainly god couldn't coerce a human being to do evil could he and then then go and punish that man for something god just sort of coerced him to do by hardening his heart that would be like god creating evil wouldn't it well one consideration we have to keep in mind that Pharaoh was not a very God-fearing man, was he? Uh, This was not an instance of God hardening the heart of a holy, righteous man. God was placing judgment upon a person who was already against God, right? Pharaoh, we know, was a tyrant. He enslaved millions of people with, not just enslaving, but with cruelty and wickedness. But we're still left with this question, 
how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? And for this, we really need to remember, we need to kind of go back to the basics. Let's go back to the foundation of what we know to understand what's happening here. We have to remember, of course, that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. But one of the ways in which God distributes his common grace upon the world is by restraining sin. I mean, throughout everywhere, God puts a restraint upon the wicked, upon the unregenerate, upon us. In other words, under the, the divine authority of God, there is restraint that is ultimately set forth by God. In other words, God doesn't allow us to be as wicked as we could be, right? I think if he were to remove all restraint, since God is over all, and he is preeminent over all his creation, Pharaoh can only do what God permits him to do, right? And so when we see God harden Pharaoh's heart uh, through these plagues, we are, we are seeing why very clearly. I mean, again, God said this in Exodus 7. We're, he's doing this so that the, his people that he is redeeming, the people that he is liberating and gathering really to himself to be a holy nation, so that there, it would be very clear that this salvation is from the Lord, and it's only from the Lord, right? Otherwise, what's the possibility? The Israelites could think eh, this, that they had some part in the redemption of, of their redemption through their own efforts, or their own power, or perhaps just the good graces of Pharaoh. Oh, we finally wore him down, now Pharaoh let us go. No, God's purpose is, is that there's no question that this is all in his control by his hand. Really nothing to do with the Israelites. And this is very similar to what we see in Ephesians 2, isn't it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, not that of yourself, but it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And God's really doing the same thing here to the Israelites. They're going to have nothing to boast about. God is going to make it abundantly clear that to the Israelites and the Egyptians, that it is God who is performing this miraculous work of redemption. So, that brings us back to our question tonight. How can God seemingly force Pharaoh to commit evil and then punish Pharaoh for committing that evil? Well, one option is that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart by somehow intervening into his soul and putting evil into his soul. And then when those evil actions came out of Pharaoh's heart, God rightly punished him for it. But what's the problem with that? Well, does God have anything to do with evil? What do we see throughout Scripture? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is not the author of confusion. God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. So it would be inconsistent for if we were to say God pushed evil somehow into Pharaoh's heart. Rather, it seems that the way God hardened Pharaoh's heart was by removing his common grace, removing that restraint. Because the only thing that had kept his heart from being any harder than it already was was the grace of God. And so for God, for, for God to make Pharaoh's heart harder, all he had to do 
was remove his restraint. God doesn't have to put evil into our hearts. It's already there. All God has to do is take his mercy away, remove the strengths, step aside, and let Pharaoh do whatever he wants to do. It's actually kind of a scary proposition, isn't it? It really sort of enforces this idea that, wow, we do live by the grace of God, like in ways we don't even think about. And actually, do you know that God has actually commanded the the elders to do this at times. This is called excommunication. And this is effectively, in a form, what's happening. See, upon excommunication, the church member is said to be delivered over to Satan. Exposed to the full temptation of the evil one. Released from the restraints God has put of the, the effects of our evil hearts. I like how uh, R.C. Sproul explained, really, the gravity of what happens in excommunication. So that excommunication is a dreadful thing to comprehend. But it's consistent with God throughout biblical history to speak to sinners who want to sin, who want the restraints removed, who want the leash untied. And they're begging to be ultimately free to express the wickedness that's stored up in their hearts. Only when God judges them, he said, okay, if you... Want evil without restraint, I'll let you have it. And this is, even as I study, this is a sober consideration for me about what's going on in some of these church discipline aspects. I mean, I think we're continually learning and understanding in better ways what's going on here. But this is what it is, right? Uh, It's God removing the restraints. I'll remove my common grace, God says, and sort of abandon one to live out your own evil inclinations. And of course, this is exactly what God did with Pharaoh. So God didn't put evil in Pharaoh's heart, but what he did do is turn Pharaoh over to a heart that was already evil within itself. Sort of removed the restraint, removed his common grace. Which brings us to our last point. What do we do as Christians when we are somehow either in, engaged with people that have hard hearts or maybe we are, um, maybe we're under the authority, maybe in the civil magistrate or something, of someone with a hard heart. Um, what do we do? How do we, how do we interact with that? What is, our, what, is our, what is our calling in that moment? Well, uh, our scripture reading was 2 Timothy 3 and spoke of this, uh, of people engaged in sin and with a hard heart towards God. It says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You know, I always find it interesting that disobedient to parents is thrown in there <laughs> amongst the list of some other very, what we might consider very difficult sins. But how are we to respond to this? How, how are we supposed to interact as Christians, as God's children, with those who are pushing against God, rebelling against God? Well, what do we see the Israelites do? Well, we see the Israelites, particularly represented perhaps by Moses and Aaron here, um, standing in faith, right? Despite the tyranny 
of Pharaoh, they trusted God. They patiently endured. We could go back to Exodus, uh, Exodus 3, 4, and 5, where we see, right, when, when Pharaoh made their slavery even harder and harder and cruel, it says. And they continued and trusted in God. And actually, what happened? Remember what happened to the Israelites when he did that? They grew. <laughs> they, they had, right? They're, the nation abounded, it says. Uh, so, so, so it might be the same for us today. We might find ourselves under the rule of a godless civil magistrate. Like, actually, we do. Or live in, live in a difficult country or county or town or something. But we must trust in God and we must remember his sovereign hand overall. And I love how Exodus is very helpful at reminding us this is the purpose of God. This is the purpose of God, right? And God even just comes out and declares that. My purpose is so they will know that I am the Lord. And ultimately, that is for all of us for all time, right? Everything God's doing, it's so that all will know, not just us, certainly his church will know, but the whole world will know that he is the Lord. And the second portion of 2 Timothy 3 speaks to this, uh, really speaks to what we should do. It's like Paul now representing that and now giving Paul, uh, Timothy instruction, well, here's how you should live. Starting in verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them the Lord delivered me, and yes, all who desire to live a godly life, a godly life in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is really the word for us this evening, right? We, as Paul was exhorting Timothy, we follow the example of the saints gone before us. We sang, uh, we, we, we sang uh, those who follow in his train. Right? Are we as those who follow in his train, who follow Christ our captain? Um, we are following the faithful ones who have endured in faith with long-suffering, with love, with perseverance, even in, in afflictions, a trusting, trusting the Lord all the way. Evil men will rise up, right? Evil men will be impostors and deceive. But we are to what? Continue, it says. We are to continue. We are to press forward. That's really the message of our text tonight. God here is making himself known, doing his incredible works, but we, like the Israelites, like Moses and Aaron, we press on. We continue on. We keep on keeping on in the faith. And we trust God. As we consider this tonight, let's, let's apply this to our lives individually, to our lives in our families, to our lives as a body, how we can be steadfast in the faith that he calls us to as we, we get to be not just spectators, but even participants in the great work God is doing of making himself known to the world. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, thank you for this word tonight. Thank you that your purposes are preeminent over all works of man and that you receive the glory 
Oh, Father, give us faith to walk in the providence that you have carved out for each of us and for us together as we covenant together as a body. Because you have perfect purposes right here for each of us. Oh, Father, give us the faith to be steadfast, to to continue to stand, to press on, to, to keep on keeping in faith and to glorify you with our lives by that. In Jesus' name, amen.